couple of weeks, we are going to be moving the start time of our service up to 10.30. So instead of 11.30, it's 10.30. We'll go 10.30 to about, uh, you know, not quite 12. You know us, we're, we're about an hour, 15 minutes or ish. Depends on the pastor and how fired up he is that particular Sunday. Uh, we're really excited about it. We, there's many reasons why we're um, moving uh, our service up an hour. One is uh, we've got a lot of little kids all of a sudden around, and they get, they're up at 6, and they get real hungry by noon. And uh, it's really going to serve our families to be able to have them really focus in and, and hear something about God and then be able to eat uh, around noon there. Um, it, it also is going to be really good uh, for uh, just being able to people, we've talked a lot of folks about the ability to be able to join family for lunch after church when we need to, uh, and to be able to have that, that time set aside. Instead of leaving church around 1.30, where, you know, after you talk to everybody, we're leaving church around 12.30. And so we really want to, for our families here and for everybody's extended family, we're excited about that. The big con, right, the big uh, consequence of moving is that we don't get to sleep an extra hour. Uh, and many of us like to stay up real late on Saturday night. Uh, and so, but what we realize, we talk to folks is whether, I mean, we just got to be real about this. Whether we start at 11.30 or 10.30, right, it hurts getting up into either way. You know what I'm saying? So you might as well just go through the pain a little bit earlier and then you've got an extra hour in your day uh, to take that Sunday afternoon nap that so many of us love to do and still have time to do your laundry and all of those kinds of things. So, um, right, so those of you that wake up at 11.20 to make it at, at 11.30 or 11.40, 11.50, right, it, it hurts getting up at 11.20. It's going to hurt just the same at 10.20 to make it at 10.30. Uh, so we're really excited about that. I think it's going to really help, uh, like I said, our families and our rhythm uh, as extended families for our Sundays. Um, the other thing that we want to let you know is that uh, on September 18th, we're starting this thing, and we're going to kick it off with a hot breakfast at 9 o'clock. So you might remember Easter, we, we blew it up, had a great breakfast. We're going to do the same thing. So just roll out of bed. You, you remember, you're allowed to come in your pajamas to this church, okay? Remember, the only dress code we have here is that you wear something. You just got to at least wear something, you know what I'm saying? So roll on out of bed, come on over here, get your coffee over here, get your hot breakfast, hang out. And then we are going to start at 1030 we are going to be moving, uh, as those of you who have been with us for a while know that um, we always end service with communion. Uh, so what we're going to do um, is not only are we going to be starting at 1030, but we're, oh, hey, thanks, team. Uh, I'll just keep sweating. I'm just going to be sweating a little bit more. That felt really nice, actually. Uh, but uh, <laughs> But uh, not only are we going to be starting at 1030, but we're going to be switching up how we do service. So we're actually at 1030 sharp. We're going to uh, lead people, uh, lead us through a process of preparing for communion and really uh, 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 kind of taking the whole week and all the burdens of the week uh, and the mistakes of the week, taking it before the Lord and then taking communion together as we enter into worship. Uh, that is going to be a, a new rhythm for us and, and our spirituality um, we really, we really believe that worship is a powerful place. Worship is a powerful place. Our worship team works really hard. I think we all felt it in here. The spirit falls when we worship God. Can we get an amen for that? We felt it this morning, right? 
And one of the things that we've learned is that we've got to be able to enter into worship just ready to go with hearts open to God. And a lot of that is when we walk in, we all know we bring stuff. We've had a tough weekend, a tough week. We've either had people, it's been hard, they've been treating us bad. Work has been hard, family's been hard, or we have just made mistakes and we're carrying that guilt. And so a lot of times that first song or two, it's just kind of hard to be fully present to God because we're just working things out. And that then, right, we, we want to shorten that time because we want every song to be a song of praise and a song of prayer, right? We want to the, be, be the place where people are just in it with the love of God in the midst of worship. And so we are going to actually start service with a time for us to help each other. It's going to be kind of our little liturgy. Of a, it's going to be an extremely sacred place. For We're going to lead folks in, in a way to be able to kind of bring their burdens and all their sins before the Lord and then take communion together because that's what communion represents, that we are family with Jesus, that he forgives us and, and talk, calls us to the table. And then we are going to open up into that time of worship. That's going to take about 10 minutes from 10.30 to 10.40. And because it's going to be a sacred space, we're actually going to close the doors. So either you get here before 1030 or you wait until 1040, just FYI. And and then the doors are going to blow open at 1040 as the worship uh, begins. Um, You will see it's going to be a very powerful 10 minutes to start and get us into that place to be able to receive all that God has for us. So on September 18th, show up at 9 o'clock for your hot breakfast and then you'll get to see and experience um, that, uh, that, that new part of how we're starting service. And then that's going to allow us then to, after the word, to be able just to minister to each other and pray for each other uh, real freely uh, as, as people have to either stay to go deeper or to be able to leave uh, to be with their family going through the day. Amen? All right. Well, if you're really, really excited about all of these changes, please come and talk to me. All right, if you're really upset about the changes, you talk to Gus. So he's the one uh, who's going to talk to you about that, okay? So uh, here we go. Church, we really feel like we've been working on this for a long time. The fall in starting to, we are going to have a great fall into Christmas with world mandate in our own backyard in October. Um, And these changes, I think it's going to be a very, very powerful time for us as a church family. Well, would you please stand to honor the reading of God's word? Uh, into the message for today. We will be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit and he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. 
Then when they were alone, he turned to the disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings longed to see what you see, but didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've gathered us together to this day. God, we're here because we need you. You are our food, our drink. You're the source of everything that's good in our life. Without you, we cannot live. God, we need your words. We know that the words that were just read are your words. They have life. They're not just mere words on a screen. They have your life. They bring guidance and strength and correction. Come, Lord Jesus, and speak. Speak right to our hearts. Speak, Lord Jesus. We need you to to speak to us. We need to hear your words. We need to be changed by your words this morning. Come. We are ready to listen. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. If we worship Jesus, we are ambassadors of Jesus. If we receive the love of Jesus, then we always receive more to give away. If we believe that Jesus is the king of kings, the leader of leaders, the only one to trust our lives to, then we proclaim and demonstrate his goodness to others. It's simply a principle of life. Whatever we genuinely worship, we will witness to. It's a principle of life. Whatever we generally worship, we will witness to. So if we are in love with another person, everyone around us will eventually know that. Amen? Amen. If we love a certain food spot, then everyone around us will eventually know that food spot. Whatever we publicly display is an authentic evaluation of what we genuinely love. Or let me say it another way. If you really want to know what you genuinely worship, forget about what you, you know, believe here. Although that's important. But look at what, what does people know? What do you proclaim about? What do you demonstrate in front of people? Right? Whatever we publicly display is an authentic evaluation of what we genuinely love. The call of Jesus to be his ambassador, the invitation of Jesus to be his witness, to go into the world to tell others about him, and to demonstrate his nearness, his goodness, his salvation, and his power, it's simply an outworking of our worship of him. If we love him, we love to be with him, and he's always on mission. He's always saving people, healing people, forgiving, redeeming, restoring, reconciling. Today we learn from the 10th chapter of Luke. The last couple of weeks we've been in Luke 9 as we learn from Jesus' call to the original 12 disciples. And we've touched on Luke 10, but now we want to focus in on next chapter, which is the call of the 72. Interestingly, did you notice as I read this scripture, we do not know their names, the 72. We know the names of the original 12, but we don't know the names of these 72. In fact, we don't know anything about them. We don't know their family of origin stories. We don't know what they look like. We don't know their personality types or their spiritual gifts. We don't know anything. And that is good news. I believe that it is intentional so that we would all pause and wonder if we could follow the same path as the 72. 
there is an intentional emphasis on the power that Jesus gave these anonymous, ordinary people. There is no emphasis on anything unique or special about the 72. We are not told that these 72 all had the spiritual gift of evangelism. You're not going to be able to hide behind that anymore, unfortunately. But it's actually a grace. Because all the emphasis is given on the power that they were given. So much power and authority that Satan is crashing down like lightning. Wow. My prayer and hope is that by the end of this time together, you will believe that you can join the 72. Jesus sends these ordinary anonymous people into different parts of their city and in the region of where they live. He calls them to go. It's crucial that we understand this. He gives them a whole new mentality for living with him. See, it's crucial to see that followers of Jesus understand that it's important to go and be an ambassador of Jesus. That this is about what it means to be right with God is that we represent God everywhere we are at. We go to represent him. The call to go is not just for this small selection of 12 special people. It's the call for all who put their allegiance to Jesus. Just a chapter earlier, 5,000 plus people come to Jesus. They came to hear his teaching. They received food and healing. Jesus loves it when people come to him. But we can see from the emphasis of Luke chapter 10, from all of his ministry, all of his life and teachings, he is more concerned with how many of the 5,000 that come to him can he transition into going for him. That is what he is most passionate about, right? right? Uh, another way to say it, quoting from my friend uh, John Teeter, Ministry success is based not in the end on how many will come, but how many will go. See, of course, we want people to come to Jesus. We all need to come to Jesus on a regular basis. But what we need is we need to believe that we can access the same power as the 12 and that we can turn around and we can go and represent Jesus in our city and in our region and this world. Some very, very close friends of mine I got to know them through our church in Pasadena. Maggie and I kind of grew up with them, married together, right? All those in the same kind of generation. Um, they are uh, currently living in the country of Malawi, which is on the continent of Africa. I want to show you some pictures. <clears throat> we got those pictures ready there. Uh, all right, so there is Jeff and Clara. Uh, they're, they're originally Hawaiian, so you see Clara, you know, throwing hang loose down there. And that's their two children. So they live in Malawi. Now the next picture I want you to see will make a connection for you. So in that picture of Malawians, you're going to recognize two folks that are sitting right over there. Right? So Gus and Isabel, years ago, they, they said yes to literally go. They went, they went to Malawi for a couple of weeks and were instrumental. Uh, they, they, uh, the southern part of Malawi is the people group called the Yao. And it's an all-Muslim community. And Isabel and Gus were crucial into uh, breaking in and building trust with a Muslim chief leader in a village, praying for people, just like the 72, seeing the sick become made well. A paralyzed woman started walking, demons cast out, and the chief said, you can talk about Jesus in this village, you're the real deal. And then, so Gus and Isabel went, and then Jeff and Clara moved there permanently to help just coach and support all these young Christian leaders among the Yao people that now they have a movement of disciples. In fact, I want to show you two minutes 
of a clip that they put together where they interviewed their children who have they've raised in Malawi. And uh, I want you, as you listen to that, to think about what their children, how their children are speaking uh, after all of these years living in Malawi as Hawaiian Americans. Start over, get some audio. You can hit pause. Yeah, it's muted right down there. I can see it on the. Hi, my name is Elijah Chan. I live in Mangochi, Malawi. Hi, my name is Evadin Chan, and I am nine years old. I am in fourth grade. I am 12 years old, and I'm in seventh grade. What I really like to do is art, sewing, baking, making toys for cats, and doing and playing Legos with my brother. Our mission here in Malawi is to create a disciple-making movement among the Yao. So basically, the concept of a disciple-making movement is where you um, share the gospel with someone and then train them to be a disciple, and then they share the gospel with someone, and then they are trained to share the gospel with another person, and etc. So the Yao, the majority of them are Muslim, that our vision is to create a disciple-making movement among the Yale so that the majority of them may come to know Jesus. Hmm. This is our Jack Russell Charlotte. This is Wave the Cat. Say hello, boys. This is our Great Dane slash Corval Foas. neighbors which we make movies we jump on the trampoline we do all these sports together like soccer or football um, and the beauty is nice here too like all the plants with the unique flowers that are sometimes only found in Malawi even when you look for a sunset or a sunrise here in Malawi it's always there and it's really beautiful right. this is a great can, place for animal lovers and it has Right, it's a long video, but I love that video because you see pretty normal children, right? I mean, would their lives uh, be any different or better if they were right here in LA with us, going to schools here, right? They are, they are in this mentality of like, hey, we go, we represent Jesus, and they're normal. They're normal people. We think of these folks that go to a country like Malawi, and we think, oh my gosh, they're crazy radicals. They're pretty normal. They got dogs and they got cats and they jump on a trampoline, right? But their mentality is, hey, we are ambassadors of Jesus as ordinary people. 
ordinary people. You will get to meet them in October. They're coming back to be a part of our World Mandate uh, Conference in El Sereno. Uh, please go up to them and say hi. Um, right? Not all of us can physically go to another country to be ambassador of Jesus. That's not all of our life purpose. But like the 72, we're all to go to the city we are in, to the people that we are around. I want to highlight a couple of truths that need to anchor us as we live in the mission of Jesus. Jesus is clear with the 72 that they are going to suffer for being his ambassador. He tells them in verse 3, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. That's a sobering picture. There are a lot of wolves around us. There are people on a spectrum from hatred of Jesus to mocking of Jesus to just apathy about Jesus. And in, verse, in the verses from 10 to 17 in this chapter that we didn't have space to read, Jesus is clear that there is rejection that we will have to endure. But it's fascinating to me that in the midst of being lambs with wolves, mixing up with the wolves, with the haters, all 72 return with joy. Did you notice that at the end? Like, we would probably understand and be happy if like half of them came back and it was awesome. Half of them were like, that was really hard, man. I'm not doing that again. All 72 returned with joy as if they had just won the Super Bowl. Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. As they trusted Jesus and they chose courage, they saw things they'd never seen before. They experienced a power that they had never experienced. They saw that as they represent Jesus in their city, their lives are now a part of defeating spiritual evil in their city. This uniquely happens when we proclaim and demonstrate that Jesus is near. It uniquely happens, meaning there is a level of power and purposeful life that you cannot experience unless you go and be on mission with Jesus. If your spirituality is just gathering with the church, gathering to sing the worship, gathering to be in the word, which, by the way, is absolutely essential because you've got to have something that you're bringing to the world, but if you never go, there is a limit to what you're going to experience with Jesus. Jesus tells them, as you were out proclaiming and demonstrating and healing and bringing people into relationship with me, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Now we know this isn't literal, right? There's not like, there wasn't like a dragon that fell into the Pacific Ocean in, the, in AD 30. You know, that's not literal. What Jesus is saying is that his, when his followers proclaim, when they demonstrate, when they witness and they heal, the devil loses power. The work of the 72 brought the devil and his evil kingdom crashing down. And it means that in the year 2022 in Los Angeles, when ordinary, common people stand in the authority and power that Jesus gives them and speak and heal in the name of Jesus, that the devil and his evil kingdom that has power will come crashing down. Because the root of the devil's power is great deception. And he has convinced the masses that they do not need Jesus. That they have other things that will satisfy them. But then he's convinced ordinary Christians that they need to be special in order to go and represent Jesus. To save, heal, restore, redeem in the name of Jesus. So when common people finally go, when common people finally stand up and say, I will be an ambassador to Jesus, to my family, to my friends, to strangers in the city that I live I will believe that I don't need to be special, that Jesus is special enough, and that he has my back, 
that he will work through me. When common people finally stand up in that authority and courage, the devil's grip on people's lives is broken. And in a city, it's why Jesus created a revolutionary movement. Because when common people realize that they are not what society has told them, right, that they actually not only are loved by God, but they are chosen to represent God in this world, that they have power, you better watch out. The city's going to be changed upside down. Hmm. A long time ago, I heard a young uh, lady in college give a testimony. She heard a message similar to this. And she was that woman, that young woman, kind of trying to own her faith as like a 20, she was probably 19, 20 in that era, you know. And she would just, she'd come to church every week faithfully. She'd sit there. She was never on stage. She wasn't in leadership. And she was trying to own her faith, right? And, and she heard this message, and she goes back home, and she's in her dorm room. And she has that random roommate, right, kind of situation. And, they, and, and, and she's laying in her bed, and she, she says something like this. She goes, you know, I was just sitting there thinking, okay, if I really kind of sent to represent Jesus, I guess I just have to go for it. So she just sits up and blurts out to her roommate, Hey, they've never talked about God. Hey, would you want to study the Bible with me to learn about God? The roommate responded, yeah, let's do it. End up having a great time. The woman understands who she is in Jesus. And this young lady said it's just changed her entire mindset on life. Oh, there's another one of the 72. Liberated, empowered, revolutionary. The devil comes crashing down. See, we got to be very clear here. We do not go and join in the mission to earn God's love. We're not trying to prove something to God or make sure he isn't mad at us. This is not some sort of competition. God doesn't give more blessings to those who have more people respond positively to Jesus than others, right? Jesus is very clear in other teachings that he alone produces change in people's hearts. We can't change anybody's hearts. We're not earning anything. We are simply in going, taking our medicine for our healing. And if we stay in that mindset, we will actually give something that people actually will be interested in. It's when we have pride. It's when we think that we all have it all together that, and we go in that kind of attitude that people are like, eh. See, after Jesus tells them, uh, the 72, I saw fate, Satan fall from heaven. I've given you authority over the all the power of the enemy. But he says in verse 20, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Do you hear what he's trying to tell them? He's saying, hey, yeah, your joy is already full. Your joy is based on your identity that you are with me. I have saved you. I am healing you. You are living forever with me. I've earned your salvation as I took on the go mentality and I left my world to come to you, to live among you, to walk with you in all of your pain and suffering, to then die on the cross, to take that just punishment that you deserve for all your rebellion and all your stubbornness and self-centered thinking that you're your own God. I took all that punishment that you deserve into my death and then I rose from the dead to display my power over death and all aspects of evil and suffering to give you power to defeat evil in your life, in your city, and to defeat your own death. I earned it for you. You are secure. Your joy is complete. It's rooted in belonging to me. So when Jesus calls us to go, it's for our own healing and for the healing of others. Jesus has chosen to display his power through us, his followers. It's how he's chosen to do business in this world. And you know what? It's a brilliant plan because people, the pain that we experience is all because of other people hurting us. 
And so the healing to that pain is to send other people in the grace of Jesus to bring healing. It's a brilliant plan. Since we are weak and fragile, since we are people who are so afraid of other people's rejection, we're anxious about their mockery of our devotion to Jesus, Jesus calls us to go so that we can heal into people of courage and security, into a spirit-filled spine that can shake off the dust and move on when we are rejected. Deep in our soul, we all desperately want to only live for God. We want to have that kind of security that says, God first and God only. He calls us to go, to be his ambassadors so that we can grow into that security. And then he calls us to go so that we can see things that prophets and kings long to see. He calls us to join him on the mission so we can see his power and his love. We can see demons crashing down as hearts are changed. you got to understand, it's like we live in a world where all the people on top, they are building their empires of wealth and oppression and in power, right? They're longing to see real power is what Jesus is saying. But you, ordinary, common 72, you get to build the actual kingdom of God right underneath all this corrupt world. You get to see the revolution. You get to see demons fleeing and crashing. That is an invitation for our life. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, I love you so much. Come on and be a partner in the family business. You're not just a laborer. You're a partner. This is for your healing, for your joy. When we let fear control our lives, we just simply settle for much lesser joys. Now, there's many circles of people that Jesus is calling us uh, to go to, to be his ambassador, I want to land this plane by focusing on the most intimate circle, our blood family. Mm, Somebody say family. Arguably, being an ambassador to our family is the most difficult mission field, to use the harvest analogy. Obviously, I'm referring to family members who do not worship Jesus. I mean, praise God if most of your family worships and follows Jesus. That means your entire family is probably called to go, probably to support each individual in their own going and then to do it together as a family. A missional family is a grace from Jesus. But for family members who either reject Jesus or just don't really care, just are apathetic to Jesus, how can we look with new eyes and live on mission within our blood family? It might be the toughest, the toughest circle that we are asked to go to. It was the toughest for Jesus. I think the first thing I want to say is it's crucial that we actually model actual transformation in Jesus. See, as you grow up together, family members can't help but see each other through the lens of all the stages of life, right? See, we're friends. They know Chris from 30 years old and onward. And I really like that because Chris from 15 to 25 was a mess. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Right? That's why I'm always a little cautious about certain people in this room who know Chris a lot younger. And I bribe them to keep their mouth shut. But family knows all the stages. Mm. And it's hard for family members to, to not look at each other through all the stages. Right? And so words alone about Jesus are not going to work if you're still being immature and selfish and difficult in your family. Family is sort of the greatest evaluator of whether you're actually changing in Jesus. See, if you're just going to church, you're in the Bible to learn it up here, but you're not actually trying to obey it and put into practice the teachings of Jesus, it's going to show up in family. (laughs) Right? 
It's going to show up. Your family will know better than anyone if you are not serious about growing in Jesus, growing in the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Here we go, patience with family members. Oh, we need supernatural power for that one, huh? Kindness to family members, self-control to family members, right? Being an ambassador to Jesus in our family starts with us demonstrating that Jesus has actually come close to us. That he's actually living with us. And he's slowly changing our sinful, self-focused heart and is growing us into people who are willing to sacrifice to love our family. Willing to serve others in our family more than we're being willing to serve. It means asking Jesus for the courage to apologize to family members or to forgive family members. It means asking Jesus for the strength to serve more around my family, to be more interested in how can I help family members than to have them help me. It means doing your part to try to change the patterns, the broken patterns of the family. And of course, we can only do our part. We can't control family members. But it means persevering and trying to help change the broken patterns in our family. For example... I remember one really specific thing that kind of broke a pattern in my family is when I finally, as a young Christian, decided at one point to actually, you know, families, they vent and they complain and, you know, about all the hard things in life. I stopped and say, hey, could I actually, like, pray for you right now? And it was like, we don't do that. But all of a sudden, okay, a little awkward. You stand in the awkwardness. And then I prayed. And then it's like, hey, that was really good. And then we offered again and again and again. And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, I just saw another one of my family members offering to pray for my family members. Oh, there's a new pattern in how we deal with pain and suffering. We could go down the list of all the patterns, right? See, when you, so when you come home from church to your family and they ask, where were you, right? Don't lecture them. Don't come home to family and be like, yeah, I was at church, okay, because I'm getting my life right while you're sitting around just in your pajamas watching TV. Mm. That's not going to help the family kind of go, I think I kind of want that Jesus. That ain't going to happen, right? But when you come home from church and they ask you about church, share personally and vulnerably how Jesus is coming close to you through church, through the Bible, through worship, through prayer, through community. And if you share vulnerably and they come back with some sort of prideful mockery like, dude, I don't need that stuff. You're just being weak. Stand in it. And share again the next week. And share again the next week. I promise you that mockery will stop. See, be patient with challenging family. Be patient with inviting them to church. Be patient with talking directly to them about their spiritual lives. Let them see the kingdom of God literally changing your life and then talk to them. You don't want family members thinking every time that you hang out with them, you're going to challenge them or preach at them. You don't want your family members, every time they grab the fourth beer, looking at you like, is it coming? Is the lecture coming? Right? That's not being a witness to Jesus. But you also don't want to be silent all the time. Right? You want to share openly about what is happening with Jesus in your life and then just ask them about their lives. We had a family reunion uh, this, this past summer because of COVID. You know, we're all scattered all over the place, so we got together. And there were many little moments where we're all around, like, dinner table, and people are just sharing about things about their life. And then it would get to me, and I would be like, about the same thing, about the kids. But I would say, oh, yes, but 
boy, we're praying to Jesus about that. And you could just feel the room go, oh, okay, we're talking about Jesus here. All right, here we go. All right, we're going. And then I would just be like, yeah, and Jesus is really helping my kids. Well, how about you? And I'd point to another my family member. Well, what's going on for you? And it was like, oh, he's not going to preach at us. We're just moving the conversation along. But every time they hear from me, they're going to hear the whole thing. I'm not going to be silent, but I'm not just going to be like, and why aren't your kids praying to Jesus? Blah, 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 blah. Right? And over the week that we were together, it was just like each conversation. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm finding out by the fourth or fifth night, because we spent a week together, I'm having deep conversations with family members about Jesus and their spirituality. Find out that my kids are having them, my wife's having them, because we just sort of put it out there. And people realized, oh, they're just being honest and open. And so all of a sudden they came and they're giving us their problems. And would you pray for us, right? Remember, church, family ain't going anywhere. Mm. As my grandpa used to always say, he's like, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. <laughs> right? And we would laugh. You're stuck with your family. So we need to be patient and persistent in the transformation around them. And we need to be persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer. We're talking like 10 15, 20 years of praying for family members all the time, right? Don't settle in your mind and believe the devil's lies like my family's never going to change. My dad's always going to be like this. My aunt's always going to be like this. Do not settle for that. You have been given power from Jesus and you sink into faith and you just pray. And you pray and you witness your own transformation and you love and you serve in the difficulty. And then give it time. Believe as you choose to persevere to see yourself as an ambassador to Jesus all the time in your family, the kingdom of God has got your back and is going to work. See, if you work on showing the change, if you work on loving your family well and sacrificing, then over time the family is going to see you as the pastor of the family. Over time, if you build that trust and you do it the right way, they're going to see you as the holy one of the family. Church, don't fight that label. I, I fought it when it first started happening to me. Before I became a pastor, and by the way, uh, I have lots of friends who are the pastor of their family. They're not vocational pastors. I'm in my 20s, and I'm changing in Jesus. And all of a sudden, I started to realize that the family is starting to see me and treat me like the pastor. And I kind of fought it because I wanted to just be like everybody else. I wanted to be seen as just like another brother and another son and another, right, but I came to realize that I, got, I can't fight that because that is a place of spiritual authority and favor that, that Jesus is giving me in my family and can give you in the family. And behind what was initially some mocking words like, oh, Chris, you think you're the holy one, you know, blah, blah, blah. But over time, it started to get real. It's like there was real, genuine trust starting to grow into me. I have had family members, more than one, yeah, like three I can think of right now who have initially rejected Jesus. Tell me, don't, don't ever talk to me about that. I just focused on loving them well and always being honest when they asked about my life, all the things we said. And over time, all of a sudden they would hit the chaos and they would call me. I mean, that was a weird moment when the older generation of my family, there are members, aunts, and, you know, calling me, telling me, and asking me for advice. And that's when I realized, whoa, something is changing. It's kind of a weird space to be mediating a conflict with a marriage of the older generation of your family. But you got to sit in that space. You've been given spiritual favor and authority, a pastor in the family. See, I've had multiple family members tell me, Chris, we're putting you in our will. You're doing our funeral. They don't go to church. 
but I'm the pastor of the family. I have had three family members now accept Jesus at the point of death. I could not get breakthrough in their stubborn hearts for 15, 20 years. But I have seen the most confident, arrogant, I'm my own God kind of melt when death comes knocking. Death is a great humbler, y'all. We can put up a lot of strength and be independent from God, but death comes knocking. It breaks people. And in that moment, in people in our family who have not gone to church, they got to be able to call somebody. So all that work of trust building, all that work of sharing honestly, all that work of offering to pray for them and not lecturing them, of asking those questions, what do you think about God? And Okay, you're not ready, but I'm going to stay there. In that moment, even at death itself, you're the one. Help me. Get a little emotional when we talk about family, right? I'm feeling a little bit. Just going to breathe. I'm going to bring the worship team up here. There is uh, one more important thing that I just need to emphasize about how to represent Jesus to your family. There are going to be times when you need to choose Jesus over your blood family. There are some families who are going to press that. Some family members who are really going to press that, whether family is first or not, even over your commitment to Jesus, and if you crumble under that pressure in that moment, you are not able to witness to the greatness of Jesus. See, putting family first over God all the time actually harms your family. When we put a person above God, even our own children, and I see that a lot, we put children over God, our parents over God. When we do that, what we are saying to God is, you are not trustworthy, that person is. You are not first. So God, he respects all people. He doesn't force himself into our lives. The devil does. So God says, okay, you're putting your kids over your life. I'll let you and the kids figure things out. See, it harms our family when we don't put God first. When we put God first, we're saying, God, you guide my family. You bless my family. But that will be tested. It will be tested by the devil. It will be tested by God. It will be tested, right, so that we can grow into that place of like, okay, God, I put you first. The family's freaking out. I need you to back me up. And that's when God loves to show up, right? Early in Jesus' ministry, early on, he was making a lot of enemies. He's hanging out with all the, the marginalized people all the bad reputation people, and all the pastors of his day had told people stay away from them, and he's now creating this people movement. Well, his family, his mother Mary and his brothers, they were a really good, faithful, church-attending family in their town, and they're hearing from their pastors they've grown up with that, hey, your son is off the, he's wacko. And so early in his ministry, Jesus is in a house. It's completely packed with all of his followers. And his mother Mary... And his brothers come to seize him, to take him home. And they say, it's quoted in the scripture, that he is out of his mind. He is crazy. And they come to seize him. And the people come in the house and say, hey, your mom's outside. (laughs) Busted. And Jesus does not go out to his mother. And he looks at his family, I mean his his followers. And he he says, who is my family? Those that do the will of God are my brothers and sisters. You can imagine Mary and the family, they didn't like that at all. I'm sure there were words and judgments because you're bringing shame to our family, attempts to manipulate Jesus into feeling guilty. But Jesus, he persevered. He said, God will be first. And guess what happened? A couple years later when he's at the cross, his mother Mary is now his follower. 
His brothers are now his follower. We've got to hold in that place. See, right? My family knows. Our family lives here in, in, in uh, mostly Maggie's family. They know. We will hang out with the family on Friday night. We'll hang out with them Saturday morning, Saturday night. We will hang out with them Sunday night. We'll change things if stuff hit. Sunday morning is God first. Sunday morning is God first. Right? We obey Jesus and how we manage our money, right? If our family members criticize that, we hold it and say God's first. Right, I have so many friends, I went through it too, right? We, you give your life to Jesus and you realize I'm no longer gonna be a slave to alcohol, right? The scripture's clear, you know, drinking a little bit is fine, but we don't go to that place of drunkenness. Nothing controls us except Jesus. And so I remember in the early days when I stopped at two beers, right? Uh, and my family's like, what the? I'm like, I'm just gonna hold, I ain't gonna judge you. You can keep talking, God first. My in-laws, uh, they used to hate me. That probably isn't a strong enough word. They used to hate me. Um, they worked their butts off as immigrants and they, they made, made it to live in the life. And then I took their daughter as if she had no control. And I took her, their daughter out of the nicer neighborhood into Lincoln Heights. And I raised their first grandson and the rest of their grandkids in Lincoln Heights at the public schools at Lincoln Heights. And boy... Then they realized after a while, oh wait, Chris didn't take me. Maggie's as crazy as him. She loves this Jesus too. And I mean, they gave us, Maggie knows, they gave us, um, I mean, they gave us silent treatments for weeks. They screamed and yelled at us. And we, man, and my wife is just amazing. She is a godly woman. Just stand in that place. I'm not gonna yell at you. I'm not gonna insult you. And I'm not gonna leave you, mom and dad, but Jesus is first. Jesus is first. We're always going to provide for you, but we're not going to buy you all this really expensive stuff because we're going to use our money to help those who have nothing. But we're going to make sure you're taken care of. And we're going to come around, we're going to love you, we're going to be there. But Jesus is first. And you know what was beautiful? In those early years when my kids were babies, boy, they were so upset what we were doing with their grandkids. And then all of a sudden, as my kids got older and over, all of a sudden we saw the first crack when all of a sudden her mom was like, you know, your kids are amazing. Boom! And Maggie, right, over the conversations, helped them see it's because we raise our kids to follow Jesus. It's because we raise them in church. And we have not heard for years any criticism. And now my in-laws love me. They have not been with Jesus their whole lives. And now at the end of their life, her dad has made it clear to us that he, in his way he is with Jesus. Her mom is the tough one. But she just recently let me pray for her, held my hand on her own, cried as I prayed that her heart would be open to Jesus. Jesus first. Love that family over lifetime. Let's stand. Let's stand to respond. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, you're so good. I'm feeling sort of this mix of emotions as I'm thinking about family members who still do not know him. 
they're still lost in their thinking and it breaks my heart, but then I'm also just realizing as I'm just telling the stories of how faithful he has been, how good it is to be an ambassador to him in our family. Oh, that we would say yes, that we would look with new eyes upon our family. You know, of course, there's boundaries to hold when there's abuse, right? We're not talking about all that stuff. But what we're saying and what Jesus is saying is, hey, of course family members are going to be all messed up when they don't know Jesus. We're the ones to go into our family and to destroy the work of the evil one. Every day, every week, for years, for decades, if it takes, we've got to renew ourselves and say, yes, Jesus, I will not let the dysfunction of my family put me in my place. I will stand up in the place of authority that you have given me, and I'm going to push back against that dysfunction. I am going to start to pray with renewed faith. I am going to start opening up and taking the shots a little bit, and I'm going to show them love that never stops, and I am going to believe that every time that you've got my back and we're going to do some work, Jesus, me and you, come on. Come, Jesus. As we sing this song, let's start to pray for our family. Let's start to give him specific family members. Some of us, you know, we just need to be right there in our spot and you do it and just sing. Some of us need to sing that song, sing the song and sing it over your family. It's a great way to pray our families to sing songs with your family in mind. Some of us need to just come down to the front. Just, we just need to physically respond. Come on down to the front as a symbol of saying, Jesus, I'm going. I'm bringing you to my family. This is our space now. Come on, let's just open it up a little bit. Let the Spirit flow. Respond to Him. Come, Lord Jesus.